This is the Your Normal Podcast, and I'm your host, Blake Russell. It's the podcast where normal people speak about the usually unspoken. And quickly to recap last week's episode with Courtney Sullivan. First of all, Courtney, thank you for coming on and taking the time out of your retired life to sit down with me and share the perspectives and insight that you did. Um, it's always an interesting time sitting down with you and talking with you. And I hope other people enjoyed the conversation and maybe uh, had their perspective shifted in some way or just generally uh, enjoyed listening to two individuals speak openly and candidly from different sides of the aisle, given a lot of issues. Uh, again, thank you, Courtney, for coming on. If you haven't listened to the episode yet, I highly encourage you to do so. Courtney is a wonderful guy. And for this week's episode, I am elated because when I originally planned this idea of starting this podcast, um, I had this vision of connecting people. And of course, I would start out with people I know and them telling them their personal stories. Uh, but eventually, I would hope that the content would reach strangers and people I didn't know. Um, and I could start connecting people and getting to know people on a more macro level. And it has happened at least once now. Uh, everybody's going to get the pleasure of meeting Izzy Abbott Death Road, just like I did prior to conducting this interview. She seems to be a frequent listener of the podcast. Um, she had listened to a previous episode and it disclosed to me that she had listened to several since. And um, it just makes my heart so full. Um, and I appreciate her wanting to come on and sharing her story. And I hope everybody can connect to this person um, and, and take away something that they didn't know before or maybe feel a little bit more normal by hearing her speak about things. She's an incredibly intelligent um, interesting person. She has a wonderful sense of humor. Uh, she comes from a really interesting background, um, but she gets into all that. Um, we discuss various things. We talk about the Beach Boys, Chris Farley. Uh, we talk about setting boundaries with people. Um, and her personal journey with a, with a deeper meaning and deeper understanding of herself. And I'm not going to disclose too much. We go really uh, into detail about that in the podcast. Um, so I hope you'll stick around. Um, and again, this is like a big moment for me personally in the creative process. Um, and I hope other people reach out to me. Um, I'd love to get to know other people. I'd love to hear more stories. I think that I've talked to some people uh, personally that have said like, you know, I've thought about coming on, but I don't really know what to talk about. Like, I don't know if I want to be, you know, or if you'd even have the time. And I just want everybody to know, like, I want to hear from people. And I think that if you're on the fence about it, like it's at least worth reaching out and broaching the subject with me and we'll see, you know, if you're comfortable with it, I, I'd love to meet more people. I'd love to talk to more, more people. I'd love to connect more people. So if you're interested, you can message me, call me, uh, reach out to me on Instagram at your normal, um, or send email submissions to talk about normal at gmail.com. All right, everybody, I hope you stick around, listen, hope everybody enjoys the episode. Take care. Have a great week. You're back. You are normal. This is your normal podcast. I'm your host, Blake Russell. And today is an exciting episode for me and the, the podcast in general. Um, I was just talking to our guest about... Um, when I started this thing, I had a vision of it reaching people that I didn't know prior to starting. 
and that is what is happening today. I, I officially met this person <laughs> 20 minutes ago, probably. Um, but we've been emailing back and forth for about a month, I'd say, a month and a half. Um, and I'm really excited about this because I feel like uh, this particular interview is going to be interesting in the fact that there's it it's the epitome of like why I wanted to start this. Like there's a lot of things about this person that like doesn't fit into a box. Cause I don't think people should fit into boxes. And I think that she has a lot of interesting things to say and to talk about. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and just stop talking now. I'm going to introduce Izzy Abbott death row. Introduce yourself. Hello. Hi. Um, so yeah, I'm Izzy Abbott death row. I am 22 years old. I am currently a senior at Southern Illinois University in Edwardsville. I am an English major and an art history minor. And hopefully in the next year, I will get my master's in museum studies. In museum studies? Mm-hmm. Oh, what, like what's the, I mean, I don't, what, what would you do with that? Do you have thoughts? Um, I would love to work in like an art museum field, mm-hmm. um, especially with uh, like doing research. I'm particularly interested in um, 19th to about post-World War II um, European art in England and France. Mm-hmm. Is that, um, so I'm going to just dive right in because I know information that the people that are listening don't know. So like, <laughs> is your particular interest with that, like, um, would you say it's mo- like, is it a combination of like your family's history with art and like being more from an artist background? Is it from like where your family's actually from? Like, what would you say your interest has, how you've derived that particular interest? Um, It's definitely a mix of my family roots. Mm-hmm. And I just grew up with a lot of that art around the house. Like my family photo albums, um, their cover is of, that particular like pear soap um, mm-hmm. art style. Mm-hmm. And that's something I've always been drawn to because it's always been, been around in my house. So yeah. That's yeah. part of the reason why. And then also my my great grandfather, uh, William Slow, he apprenticed underneath John Aldridge and uh, I think Edward Bodden mm-hmm. in the 1940s and 1950s. Um, he did watercolor art. Um, underneath them and my great-grandmother was actually a John Aldridge's housekeeper for years that's really I I feel like so tell me John Aldridge is Mm -hmm. can you tell me more about who that person I'm not familiar um he um was very prominent in the Essex England area which is where my mom's side of the family is from Mm -hmm. um he was known for um like etchings and you know drawings and and paintings and um yeah, what's really funny though is there was some controversy on Facebook recently because so a John Aldridge uh, art page posted um, a drawing of a old lady, and they um, mistakenly titled it as my great grandmother. And my grandma and her brother commented on this, and they were like, "I don't know who this is, but that's not my mom." <laughs> <laughs> Shit. <laughs> And um, they were just talking back and forth. And the person who ran the page was like, oh, but somebody um, who's professional titled it as Kathleen Slow. 
And my grandma and her brother are like, no, that's not, that's total bullshit. (laughs) We're going to set the record straight right now. Like, (laughs) I mean, it looked nothing like her, Mm -hmm. like at all. (laughs) I wonder how that happened. Like, I wonder how that like false information. It's weird. It's yeah. It's bizarre. Yeah. It's like the whole world's this big telephone game now. And it's right. (laughs) And nothing has to get like fact checked and ugh. Uh, Okay. So I like all our guests, Izzy, I, I sent you a little homework assignment where I wanted you to come up with five words and I want to kind of go into those now and then we're going to get into the other topics later. Um, this first word I was I was joking with Izzy before we started this. I literally had to Google what it meant because I had. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the first word is esoteric. Um, I want you to first just give your definition of it and then tell me how it applies to you. I view esoteric as being interested in things that people aren't really, you know, in tune about. Just Mm -hmm. stuff that's so, like, bizarre, basically. Mm -hmm. Like, I have a wide range of interests, such as um, I know, like, a lot about, like, 1960s music, such as, you know, the Beach Boys, particularly Brian Wilson. Um, because when I was a little kid, um, my dad was a stay-at-home dad while my mom worked, and I would just watch music documentaries with him mm-hmm. um, pretty much from you know infancy until I went to preschool. And one documentary I was really into was um, one about Brian Wilson. And <laughs> I would recite particular uh, scenes from this documentary. And, but my favorite one was when they talked about his uh, acid trips while recording music Mm -hmm. and when I got to my first preschool was a Catholic preschool and you know I was a quiet kid except for when I wanted to talk about what I wanted to talk about and I wanted to talk about uh Brian Wilson on acid to my Catholic school teachers (laughs) how old were you you were in preschool I was I was three I was three when this happened beautiful um (laughs) yeah so they had a conference with my parents and they thought that I had autism but I don't, mm-hmm. um, I got checked out, but you know, ironically, I now have a little brother who has severe autism. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah. But, um, along with that, I'm really into like the London post-punk scene going on right now. Um, I enjoy, you know, like nineties SNL. I, <laughs> I was told by a friend once that I'm probably the only person under the age of 30 who gives a shit about Chris Farley. <laughs> Dude, Chris Farley's the shit, though. Like, yeah. he, he's like, it's so tragic he died so early. Like, he yeah, was, exactly. He would have been the go. I feel like, yeah, yeah. And then another thing too that's what I feel is esoteric is you know it, it's all deals with my upbringing because another thing that would calm me down when I was a kid was my dad would play this DVD of all of Blur's music videos from like their greatest singles. So you know when my first trip to England to go see my family, you know, my little cousin would watch, you know, Pingu or Wallace and Gromit to calm down. Mm-hmm. And then I would just watch Blur's music videos. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just stuff like that, that I feel, you know, makes me kind of esoteric mm-hmm. in a way. And yeah. I have a couple thoughts um, in response to what you just said. Like one, like the, your interests and the things that you're talking about being interested in, like it, it reminds me of growing up being my brother's brother. Cause my brother, uh, 
my brother is very similar in that way. And even today, like he'll send me music and I'll, you know, or he'll send me like, he'll be like, Hey, you need to watch this on Netflix and I'll watch it. And I'll be like, you have to go through like a back door in Netflix to get to it. And it's just like this really, um, I'm now learning esoteric kind of, uh, just, yeah, bizarre is a good word to describe it. And it's usually like, there's usually something redeeming within it, but it's like, I'm just like always wowed at like how he came to like find certain things. And it seems like you have a similar quality. Like, are you, are you drawn to finding things that are like, uh, not known by many people or like, that's just not very mainstream. Is that something that you find yourself drawn to? I think so. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. I mean, even I know witchcraft is being like, you know, like this big craze right now on TikTok mm-hmm. and stuff, but I'm not on TikTok. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I've always had a draw to this and it wasn't until the end of pan- and the pandemic when I, um, I got broken up with, and I had like this, you know, it was such an intense period from late November, early December, because I was moving out of a very unsuccessful apartment move. And then, you know, after I moved back home, I got broken up with. And I just, you know, like witchcraft and tarot was something that I had always admired from afar, basically. But I never felt like I could dive into that. But as soon as I did, you know, my life has changed so much for the better. When did you do that? Um, I started doing that in, around December, I think, because mm-hmm. I realized um, how much external validation impacted me. And I realized, you know, if I don't have anyone else to turn towards, do I have to turn inwards to myself? Because I'm the only person who can pick myself back up mm-hmm. after such, you know, a shitty situation. And uh, yeah, I just did a lot of, shadow work and realizing you know, my karmic patterns over the past few years and um yeah and then i picked up my first uh tarot deck and it just become part of my daily routine ever since i have questions because this is something i'm entirely unfamiliar with but like mm-hmm. the, the concept of like in external invalidation or validation and, and the things that you're speaking to I, i'm very familiar with but it's like you manifested it within this particular interest. So can you like help me and people listening bridge the gap between like you recognizing these previous themes in your life and then you like specifically honing in on this particular concept? Um, so I, up until literally the end of last year, I was not really the best at upholding boundaries and I did a lot of stuff out of obligation for other people and I was definitely very much uh, a people pleaser mm-hmm. and I thought that you know my way of satisfaction would be you know helping people out and you know recognizing my self-worth through how people perceive me basically um so yeah I just I just got sick of it basically I got sick of you know, trying to see my worth in other people when I should see my worth within myself. Mm-hmm. Um, tarot is a really introspective um, activity because <clears throat> you can ask questions like, what do I need to work on today? What do I need to release in order to grow? And it's those particular questions and based on the cards that you get that makes you realize, you know, what exactly you need to do to better yourself. Mm-hmm. Is it like a, I know nothing. Okay. So like, is it something that you get like a random 
like a random assortment or a random deck and then you don't know what you're going to get or is it always the same no matter who is picking the card like i don't how does that work it's definitely it's a very strange thing because some days if you like don't really know what tarot's talking about it will repeat the same cards to you to try to get you to realize this is a sign that you need to take mm -hmm. um but sometimes basically I really do think that tarot just basically displays what's in your subconscious mm. and makes you confront that. And like, you can't run away from it basically. Mm -hmm. I like that. This is like a, this is like what I'm into as well, just like in a different vessel. Like I don't, yeah. I don't look at it through that. Like I get, you know, I'm a therapist by trade and like, I get people to like get into what you're talking about and talk about it and it's cathartic for them. And it's a, uh -huh. similar, it's a similar concept. It's just something I'm not as familiar with. It's just another best yeah. for that. Would you agree that that's kind of this like yeah. the same, same concept? Yeah, definitely. I definitely feel that it is like my own form of therapy. Yeah. Basically. It's cathartic. It sounds like it sounds yeah. cathartic. Yeah. Especially because um, I tend to journal my results. Yeah. And journaling really helps me, you know, formulate what exactly these cards are trying to tell me. Mm -hmm. Journaling is the absolute shit. Like journaling it really like, is. for anybody that doesn't do it or has thought about it or is on the fence, like just, yeah. do, just get things on paper. It's like an incredible five minutes a day minimum. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm in agreement with you on that. So, okay. We, you know, I want to go into this next one. It's, it's, it's like, it's oxymoron <laughs> as it gets like, <laughs> so the second word that you sent me was cynical optimist hyphenated, right? <laughs> So let's talk yeah. about that. What, what um, you say that? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. It's a weird thing because, you know, on my English side of the family, everyone is absolutely cynical, always sees the worst in people. But at the same time, I want to like combat that and try to see the best in people. Mm -hmm. You know, I think this also plays into like my previous people pleasing behavior mm -hmm. where I always tried seeing the best in people and wanted to do things for people out of goodness and then you know getting walked all over basically and then i turn into like the cynic and go oh you know like not necessarily a grudge but just like this kind of judgment mm -hmm. i suppose so it's it definitely is a really weird oxymoron and a weird yin yang of the mind mm -hmm. that i have so it makes sense to me like the way i'm thinking about it like the way you just described it it sounds like you grew up in a household where you were saying like base are you, were you, let me ask you this question before I go into that. Like you, you, you mentioned your family's English background and then you uh, like mentioned the cynicism with uh -huh. it. Like, yeah. is, are you, are you suggesting that like, that's like a, um, a byproduct of being from England or being English? Oh yeah. It's certainly a cultural thing. Cynicism, okay. especially in rural England, okay. very, very like ingrained in English culture. Okay. So to me, it sounds like you had maybe as a young person, you saw that a lot. And then you had like the reaction that I need to overcompensate and try to get to the other side of this and do the more people pleasing thing. And then in turn, yeah. like, it, it's like this internal struggle maybe with you that like, this is a part of who I am, but also like, I want to be more over here and you maybe overcompensated. Oh, definitely. I definitely think that's the case. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And now you're just kind of, so now you kind of just align with both. So does it sound like you just don't really know where you like, is it like you're unsure of where you fit within that little spectrum or how do you feel about that? 
Um, yeah, I definitely still feel like I'm in that limbo of being like, you know, am I going to be an absolute cynic today or am I going to be absolutely, you know, seeing the best in people today? Mm-hmm. You know, it really honestly just depends on what's going on, what circumstances are at play. For sure. Um, and I know there were some things we might get into a little later in the interview that were on your mind about kind of within the same realm. Um, yeah. we'll, we'll maybe broach that subject later. I want to get through this list. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go with the next word you chose. You chose sensitive. Mm-hmm. That's uh, I want to know a little bit more about that. We actually haven't talked about that at all. Yeah. Um, I've definitely always been extremely sensitive to like my environment around me. Like I, I actually wrote an essay about this. I put on my portfolio, but um, I definitely tend to like read and perform the room around me. Mm-hmm. Like I definitely pick up on energies of other people. Like if somebody's, you know, tense, I'm going to emulate that and I'm going to mm-hmm. be tense as well. But you know, I was a crybaby all the time when I was little. Up until at least sixth grade, I had meltdowns constantly mm-hmm. at school. But it was also because, you know, I had, I still have I generalized anxiety disorder, but um, I just didn't know how to process that when mm-hmm. I was a kid. So I would just, you know, I would have stomach aches constantly. I would cry all the time. And um, yeah, and then it just manifested into, you know, being like, the token quiet kid growing Mm -hmm. up in a K through 12 private school. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah. And then now I just, I don't know. I definitely, I pick up very easily on other people's emotions and I, I definitely, yeah, basically I pretty much mirror other people and, you know, if they're having a good day or if they're having a bad day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What comes to mind when you say that, like, so you're saying in social situations in general, is it fair to say like you almost put on a mask, like within social situations, like you don't, you just match what other people are doing and it's not really like, I don't know. I don't want to say it's not the true form of who you are, but you're, you're just responding as opposed to like being proactive about who you truly are. Does that make sense? I would say it's, that and a mix of trying to you know, be my authentic self, basically. Okay. But if somebody's like, you know, like overpoweringly pissed off or tense, I'm definitely going to mirror that. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's within the people pleasing realm? Do you think that's like similar thing going on there? I would say so. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, but within that, like, just so I understand like sensitivity, like, and then you talked about that, like, where does it, where does the sensitive part come in? Is it just because you're being sensitive of other people? Is that what you mean? Yeah, that, and I also am just very emotional. Like I, you know, somebody can tell me like, like if people cry, I cry with them. Okay. Basically. I remember when uh, it was like winter 2019, my mom fell down the stairs. It was super icy. She fell down the steps outside. Mm. And even though she sprained her ankle, she was in so much pain crying. And I just couldn't help but, you know, cry with her. Mm-hmm. That was such like a very like strong memory for me. Mm. She's okay. It was just an ankle. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. It was just a sprained ankle. Could have been worse with stairs and ice. And, oh, yeah. Oh, man. Um, 
So it, I, I get the impression you're saying you feel things pretty deeply and you have a lot of empathy for other people and like you just you kind of you can get overwhelmed with your emotions sometimes. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Which is like, a you know, that happens and that makes sense. Um, I want to roll right into impulsivity because I feel like with what you're <laughs> describing and then impulsivity, it's like so let's talk about that. I mean, we can talk about my hair. Um, yeah, Monica, yeah. Monica, who you interviewed, um, she is my stylist. Yeah. Um, she recently dyed my hair red after being like this pale silvery blonde for a few months at this point. And I wanted like a nice strawberry blonde and we got that, but then it faded super quick. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I can't look at this. So I just went straight to Target. I got box dye. And I did it. And, you know, applying the SIUE2 in summer 2019, that was an impulse decision. And it worked out great for me because, you know, I'm with a really great group of friends and I'm, I'm home for school and I'm saving less, I'm saving more money mm-hmm. on school at this point. But yeah, I, <laughs> it's a very funny story. I applied to SIUE just on the whim at three o'clock in the morning. I just paid the $45 application fee and I said, I'm going to do it. So. How- Okay. So I would agree that's impulsive, but like, it sounds like it worked out. And like, I feel yeah. like, I feel like people, some people could use some impulsivity that don't and like, you know, whatever. Yeah. How do you go from like chilling three o'clock in the morning to like, I'm going to this school and I'm doing this. Like it, was it something you've been thinking about for a while or what? I was originally going to go to Eastern Illinois university um, in the in spring 2020. Um, I would have been a legacy kid. My parents were alumni. I have been, I had a very strange journey with school because, so I went to a K through 12 school all my life called the Governor French Academy. I graduated in class of nine. Um, And then I went to Lawrence University in Appleton, Wisconsin from September, 2017 to June, 2018. Mm -hmm. Um, That school had like 1200 kids max. And I transferred because I realized that I needed like a bigger school and basically going to such a small liberal arts school like that was basically high school all over again, just like what more than a hundred times the size of my private school. So I thought about EIU because my parents both went there and they really liked it. And like, this is another thing too about like the people pleasing external validation. I wanted to go because my parents wanted me to go. Yeah. And then, you know, three o'clock in the morning, one night in middle August, I was like, I can't do this. Like I need to do something for myself. And then I was just having really intense anxiety that night. And then that, that's how I applied to SAUE. Basically. Did you, did you find relief from the anxiety by applying? Oh yeah. Yeah. Definitely mm-hmm. released a lot. Did, I mean, so then it, my natural thought process goes to like, you wanted to go to, it's EIU, Eastern Illinois University. Yeah. You wanted to go there to like, please your parents. And then you do that at three o'clock in the morning. Like how much time goes by until you like disclose that you did that to them? It was the next day when I woke up. <laughs> how did they, <laughs> so no, no time lost, like boom. Um, yeah. I told, I told my mom, I was like, Hey, I applied to SAE. She went, why'd you do that? So did, but was, was there disappointment? Was it just kind of like, what's happening? Like what, what did it look like? Um, 
they were just like, you keep changing your mind. Why are you changing your mind all the time? Mm-hmm. And that was definitely a main question I got from my family all the time from at least 2017 to about 2019. Mm-hmm. But ever since going to SAE, I've pretty much had like a clear idea of what I want to do for like a long-term goal. Yeah. It's interesting, like, I don't know. I'm going to call it like the 17 to 21-year-old window, right? Like it's a really formative, and I would even say like pressure-packed time in yeah. your life and you're supposed to like pick this direction to go and like it's like you're you're 17 18 19 like it's you're so young and it's so much pressure and it's just a, it's just a weird thing about society to me that we put all this pressure on on people at that age do you feel exactly. like do you feel like there's pressure or like I don't know like do you feel like you when I ask you questions about your long-term goals or anybody do you feel like you're supposed to have an answer like how do you feel about that um, yeah, I mean, it's just such a hard thing because my family is always on me about like, oh, what are you going to do with your degree? And it wasn't until literally last, I mean, fall semester that I realized like my solid um, degree choices because I was jumping back and forth. No, I always wanted to be an English major. That was, that's always stayed the same, but my minors have changed so much. Mm-hmm. Like when I... I would do studio art and I do creative writing and now I'm at art history, but art history seemed like, you know, perfect for mm-hmm. me because mm-hmm. I've always been like big into um, like researching and just learning all about art. And I don't know. I just feel like with like an art studio minor, I'd be wasting time, I mm-hmm. guess. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's just, it's definitely difficult trying to explain to my family my thought process and being like, I don't know what I want to do at this point, but I will get there. I feel like that's so normal. I, but I mean, I, I'm not trying to like disrespect like your family's view of it or anything. I just think it's normal to be like, I'm interested in this, 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 this. And like, I don't really know I'm this age. And like, it's going to, yeah. it's going to like, I like not to make this about me, but like, I'm a, I'm a therapist. Right. And like, yeah. I've worked, I've worked a long time to get to where I'm at and like, but part of why I'm where I'm at is because I didn't fucking know what I wanted to do. And like, I, I had my own, I had my struggles of my own. And, um, even now I'm like, I could do this for a while and I like it and I think I'm okay at it, but like, I don't know if I want to do it. Like you could, people are ever changing. Like, I, I just don't like the pressure that's put on people right around your age. I don't know. It, yeah, I think it creates more problems than it doesn't. But, um, I think you're in the, it sounds like you're in the wheelhouse, which is good. Like, um, which, I mean, the last word naturally comes up. It's artistic. Do you, want, <laughs> do you want to talk about your art and like, or what do you want to talk about with um, that? Well, basically, um, I specialize more so in watercolor portrait art. I do some acrylic, but um, yeah. So, I mean, I, honestly, I feel like my artwork, my art style and like my artistic abilities are inherited because mm-hmm. My dad is a portrait artist as well, but he's more into oil painting. Mm-hmm. Um, he mostly paints portraits of musicians. My mom is, she also paints, but her, um, her, her oeuvre is mostly about um, graphic design and photography. Um, she does watercolor as well. She's actually the one who got me into watercolor, even though she seldom does it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Although we have no idea where my dad got his like art flair from because he's basically the only one of his siblings who like has like dived right into it. And it's like his, it's like a bit of his income. And then my mom, my grandma, my maternal grandma, uh, she would have gone to art school in the 1960s in England, but then she met my grandpa who was in the air force and that happened. Um, Mm -hmm. But then her dad is the one who apprenticed under um, John Aldridge and Richard Bodden. Mm-hmm. He's the one, is that the grandfather that when you were emailing me, you said he passed away? Yeah, he, um, yeah, my great grandfather, he actually suffered from mental illness mm-hmm. and um, he, he hanged himself mm-hmm. when he was 39. Um, yeah. And uh, I'm sorry to hear that. I know you didn't know him and, um, but I know it's like, yeah that that can affect things generationally. Um, but I know when you disclose that to me also, it sounds like you feel like you identify at least with him artistically speaking, like within yourself. Oh, yeah, actually he's my spirit guide. Like it's like, I've talked to somebody who does intuitive Reiki and I go to somebody named Vic who is like my go-to tarot reader and has been since October, 2020. Uh-huh. And, um, literally, um, I got a spirit guide reading from them and the first card that came out to identify my spirit guide was the artist. And Mm -hmm. I just, I just knew it was him. Yeah. That was, that was after. um, So I first dove into a spirit guide journey when I did intuitive Reiki with somebody named Katie. And um, she was like giving me names of people like in my corner, basically. And she gave out my, great pause second name robert mm-hmm. and it's really weird because um even though it's not his first name i always thought his name was robert growing up mm-hmm. like i thought that was his first name but then i found out his name was william and i just knew it was him from how i remembered him yeah just hearing stories about him um but yeah finding out he was my spirit guide was absolutely nuts yeah and it's interesting like <laughs> this it's like this idiosyncrasy that's only, that only you can know about. Like you, you had this misconception that his name is this, and then it comes. That mm-hmm. seems that seems too coincidental. Not to, you know what I mean? I, I, yeah. I, I get I get your thought process process there. Um, I don't know anything about painting. I, I know you said that you do your like watercolor, and then mm-hmm. you said you do some acrylic. Yeah. I don't know about acrylic. Can you tell? Like, can you tell people about that? I don't know anything about that. Um, acrylic compared to watercolor. It's really funny because a lot of people say a watercolor is a pain in the ass, but I say it's the same thing about acrylic. What is it? I don't know what it is. Like, what's the difference? I know it's conceptually what watercolors are, but what's acrylic? Acrylic is a more opaque painting, mm-hmm. um, painting medium. It's just, it's a lot of layers and you have to get like the right colors. And it's just a lot of, it's a, much like harder process mm-hmm. like I have a self-portrait I was going to do in acrylic and I just kind of gave up on it because like getting the skin tones right it's just a lot of like painting like mixing paints whereas with watercolor you can just like do like a simple dab of a certain color just add water and you're, you're golden it sounds like what you're saying, at least how I'm understanding it, watercolors for you, um, or it's just like easier to manipulate like what you're trying mm-hmm. to do. Yeah, yeah, I definitely conserve a lot more 
with watercolor because you just you don't need that much at all with mm -hmm. watercolor whereas with acrylic you need just like you need a lot mm -hmm. that makes sense i mean it makes sense how you're explaining it if you put it in front of me i'd be like i don't know this, <laughs> this is chinese um okay so we've covered a lot within this five word format um but i want to kind of transition to a topic um you've alluded to a few times in talking about school that you went to private catholic school which for me um, oh go ahead i went to a private catholic school for my preschool just one year okay then i went to um some mo like monastery pre uh preschool for a couple of years after that then i went to an extremely secular k through 12 school from okay. 2004 to 2017. Okay. I I just found it a little interesting um, when you mentioned that because you had told me that like your dad growing up what in, until 19 years old mm -hmm. was a Jehovah Witness and he still has some family that um, identifies with that particular religion. And then your mom is very science-based and an atheist, right? Basically. Yeah, although she is kind of warming up to my like my witchcraft bullshit. <laughs> you're you're are you trying to persuade or is it just kind of no, naturally happening? It's naturally happening. I mean, she saw I have this oracle deck that has a she's in her uh, garden phase or midlife crisis. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have this oracle deck that has like an entire list of like plants such as and plants, fruits, vegetables and their like divine meanings basically. Mm -hmm. And she was such a fan of that, especially because it was watercolor art as well. Mm -hmm. And she was like, oh, I'm going to use your Oracle deck as an inspiration for my witch garden. Oh, so, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> She's starting to come out of her shell. No. Um, <laughs> so I just want to know, like, I don't know, did that did that like did you feel any of that growing up? Like, I feel like those are and for lack of a better term, it's like kind of con contrasting ideologies or contrasting thought processes. Um, I know that he wasn't really, that wasn't, when did your dad have you? Like, I'm sure that he was far um, away from that. My parents were both 30 when they had me. Um, okay. He married my, my parents married when they were 22 and 23. Okay. Um, but he went to school. He went up to, uh, so my dad's from Chester, Illinois. Um, then he went to Swick, uh, Southwestern Illinois College, which is originally BAC, mm -hmm. Bethel Area College. Um, and he was the first of his siblings to go to school. And he wanted to go to school, and that was something that the witnesses were against. Okay. So that's kind of where he started breaking off. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, growing up, I, I always knew in the back of my mind that my paternal grandma was a Jehovah's Witness and she was extremely religious. And, but I hung out with my maternal grandma all the time when I was a baby. She was, she babysat me all the time. Um, but there was something that happened when I was three. I, I've been blunt ever since I could formulate words and I would just like, I was, I had no filter. Mm -hmm. I frankly still don't have a filter. Mm -hmm. But, um, I was telling my Jehovah's Witness grandma all about Santa Claus, the tooth fairy. And then she just stopped me and went, all that's not real. Like it's all a lie. And I was devastated. Oh my and goodness. my, my British grandma found out about this and like a dynamite was basically lit in her core. <laughs> and she was so pissed off. 
and she, apparently she contemplated writing a letter to my grandma being like what you did would be similar to me telling her that god wasn't real yeah so. yeah it's the same it's like at least how you receive it at that point like that's yeah. you have so many hopes and like you, mm-hmm. you it's um that would be devastating so like yeah. when she does that like did you take what she said for truth or did like people try to repair that? Like, was it something as soon as you heard that you're like, okay, it's not real or how did that play out? Um, it definitely got repaired because I still, you know, was a huge fan of holidays. Easter has always been my favorite holiday. Yeah. Um, so yeah, my, my maternal side of the family basically just tried to not have it like affect me that much, I guess, but I still grew up knowing of that tension within like both sides of my family mm-hmm. do you know because I think there, there'll probably be people listening and I know like a very minimal amount um do you I mean are you well versed or do you know about like that particular religion and like what they believe and or not really like are you kind of far removed from it I know the basis of what they practice and what they don't practice would you be willing to talk about it yeah we can talk okay. about that okay just speak about it like <laughs> just like yeah you know, yeah. So they don't celebrate any holidays because of their pagan background. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Kingdom Hall, not church. Apparently now they're doing Zoom uh, sessions for Kingdom Hall. Um, I actually just saw my Jehovah's Witness grandma last week, I think. Mm-hmm. And she's giving me updates about how things are going. They believe in something called the new system, which okay. is kind of paradise. But you know, my grand my grandma's always told always told me, you know, nineteen fourteen was the year that everything started going to shit, basically. Nineteen fourteen? Nineteen fourteen. Yeah. Why nineteen fourteen? The start of World War One. Ah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's pretty much the basis of what I remember at the moment. What do they think happens when you die? Um, they believe that those who were witnesses um can be saved. And then some people, I, I think there's something about how, you know, you could have a chance to be resurrected. And um, some people just don't, basically. Yeah, that's, I'm happy you mentioned that because I, I, have, I have to consider confidentiality. But <laughs> I've worked with people um, that are witnesses and I they had a death in the family and there was like talks of resurrection. And for me with my internal belief system and values, like it was very hard for me to navigate because there was kids involved and like, it was just difficult to navigate because there's like the resurrection piece. Um, yeah. But you're saying there's some people that don't believe that. Um, to your understanding, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I feel I feel like I know like surface level yeah like about like what witnesses believe in it's just very strange because my grandma she you know was married to my grandpa then they got married twice and divorced twice he wasn't that like too great of a person but I remember like I think it was the third time third to last time I was down there you know, despite all the crap that he put her through, she still said something like, oh, your grandpa has a chance to uh, come back and join a new system. And my dad and I were just like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I don't I don't mean to put you in a, I don't want you to feel like I'm putting you in a position of being like the spokesperson for yeah. <laughs> but yeah. like whatever whatever you know, like that I was just wanting to know what you knew. But it's interesting stuff. Like it's just it's just another I don't know. It's it's hard for me to grasp that concept because yeah. I, I'm so far removed from that. Um but that's what yeah. some people believe. So um so I'm interested like that's how your dad was raised. And then almost three, four years later, he meets your mom who was probably raised like almost polar opposite of that. Like, do you know about their meeting story or like how how did they become interested in one another? They met at community college in Belleville Mm -hmm. when they were about 20. Yeah. Then they started dating. Then they went to EIU together. And then after graduation, they got married. And then they moved, they moved back from Charleston to Belleville um seven years of marriage and then they had me basically mm-hmm. are you the oldest sibling mm-hmm. yep my younger brother is four and a half years younger is that your only sibling mm-hmm. so he's in high school he just graduated that makes sense 22 minus four. math math <laughs> uh, <laughs> but that's cool it does is he going to college or what's he planning on doing um so he is getting money from the government because mm-hmm. he is disabled because mm-hmm. um, of his autism oh right you mentioned that okay mm-hmm. yeah yeah so i think he's going to be doing some volunteer work um but he is part of a program called ptoec where he and a bunch of other special needs kids they do basketball bowling swimming mm-hmm. it's a really really nice program that helps him get out and get active every that's week awesome. that's awesome because i know uh, like with him like is is socialization and things like is that a, a challenge for him with his oh, yeah. yeah he um i wouldn't say he's nonverbal. yeah but so he went to the same school as me um my k-12 school until halfway through his freshman year of high school because mm-hmm. they just let him sleep in class because mm-hmm. he couldn't catch up with the other kids mm-hmm. you know my brother cannot formulate an essay he cannot express his own thoughts because mm-hmm. one it's such a hard time trying to ask him question. Like I can just ask him, Hey Alan, what do you think about this? And he just cannot like explain what he's thinking. Mm-hmm. And along, with, along with that as well, he tries to say what he thinks you want him to say. Mm-hmm. So it's just really difficult with that. So, I mean, he can say yes or no to like simple questions and he loves talking about like trains and, um, geography mm-hmm. but other than that I mean he's just he's a very quiet sweet kid he reminds me a lot of Lenny from a bison bed oh yeah mm-hmm. okay that's a good yeah. that's that's very like tangible yeah. like, he oh, is <laughs> he's a tall gentle giant he's like six foot eight <laughs> It's interesting that you mentioned trains because I've met uh, other autism people with autism um, in my line of work and personally, and a lot of the time trains is something that comes up. Like I feel yeah. like there's a I don't know what that is. Maybe somebody could study that. But like he, yeah. he likes trains. Mm-hmm. Did he like uh, Thomas growing up? The- he did. He definitely yeah. did. Yeah, he loved. He has a whole bunch of train books. He has a whole bunch of like train movies. Mm-hmm. That's cool. What's your brother's name? I didn't ask his Alan. name. Alan. Alan. Alan? Mm-hmm. My middle name. Cool. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. A L A N. A L A N. Yeah. 
cool. Yeah, my dad, my dad named him after Alan Shearer from the Newcastle football team in England. <laughs> oh, sick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, uh, that's cool. That's cool. Um, I uh, okay. So I want to know, like, we have a few other things on the list here that we could talk about. Um, I know that you mentioned like kind of being conflicted long term about what you're wanting yeah. to do. When I first heard from you, you were talking about wanting to move to England. And then when I talked to you today, you were saying that kind of like, isn't it, it's not what you're wanting to do now. Like, what are you thinking like long-term? Um, so I would love to move to England, mm-hmm. but the problem is money. Cause I was just thinking if I move to England for my master's, that's probably $30,000 down the drain in one year. And I don't have that money whatsoever. Um, so yeah, I don't feel comfortable, you know, moving there until I feel financially stable enough. Yeah. So now I'm just, I mean, it's, I'm thankful that I'm realizing this now until like the last minute because originally I was going to go to university of West England in Bristol, uh, this upcoming January, I get my bachelor's degree this December. So I would have had probably less than two weeks to prepare after getting my bachelor's and do my master's program. Mm-hmm. And in England, their master's programs are an intense year long. So I would have had probably intense burnout from that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and COVID has caused so many delays within universities there that I got an email from the program director for their curating program about a month ago being like, oh, I'd love to do an interview with you. And then I followed up with them the next day, no response yet whatsoever. And this program starts in seven months and I have to apply for a visa at least three months before I'm supposed to go there. I have to have so much money saved up for it. So it's very much like, it's a time crunch. Mm-hmm. So I just realized it's not feasible. Yeah. And then I thought about, you know, if I can't do that, maybe I'll go to Kingston university in London or university of East Anglia Norwich. And those programs are 17,000 pounds uh, for one year. What's the conversion to American currency? Do you know? Like $25,000, okay. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I would have to like pull loans out the wazoo. Oh yeah. So, I mean, it's just, it's not worth it. And especially one thing too is there's so like, there are like a little amount of opportunities for like curating and art museum management, museum studies over in England compared to here where there's like plenty of cities to choose from. So what I'm thinking is I could probably go to San Francisco for my master's degree. Mm-hmm. Cause I have family there as well. And then, or I can just stay local and get my museum studies degree from Umsol. Mm-hmm. San Francisco would be cool. I think like, yeah. I think money again would be like something you'd have to bank and like, it's always money, isn't it? It's just, that's that son of a bitch, that money. Um, right. What money? The, or what? Oh, go ahead. Sorry. The problem too is, you know, if I try to get my master's degree here, there's a little opportunity for museum study stuff here as well. So, yeah, I mean, I'd have to go to Chicago to find some opportunity in like an art museum field. Mm-hmm. 
So what's your timeline then, like to figure this stuff out? Like I like practically speaking, like um well I want to get my master starting uh next August, August 2022. Mm -hmm. And that would be about two years mm -hmm. of this of this program. And then I would try to find a job at that point in my field. But for now, I'm just saving up money, basically finishing my degree at SAOE. Okay. Yeah, you're in a good spot. Like you have options and like yeah. you can bank the money away. Like you're in a good spot. Like mm -hmm. um okay, so there was a topic that you had brought up with me um via email and when we were talking before we started recording. Um that was kind of like um you'd mentioned people pleasing a few times and um like boundary setting. Can you do you want us to talk about this? We don't have to, it's up to you. Um I'm just trying to think about like the best way to go about it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking like, let's think. so like you're, you're 22 years old. Right. And like, yeah. you're like, you had mentioned like you have a whole new set of friends and you once did. And I feel yeah. like, I feel like currently in 2021 in general, it's hard to make friends because everything's online. But also, like, when you're an adult, it's especially hard. Do you want to maybe talk about, like, your how that went for you? Like, maybe making a whole new set of friends or? Yeah. Um, so, I have known my friend Mal. Um, I met Mal on Twitter in, like, 2016, I want to say. But then we ended up working at Target together in 2018. Okay. And then um, Mal invited me to, like, a couple parties. And that's basically how I met this new group of friends. Mm-hmm. Um, but even then, like that entire group has pretty much changed basically. Mm -hmm. Um, but when I was starting at Target and when I first started going to these parties, I was involved with some people who, I don't know, it just was very surface level friendships. And, um, but then I met one of my best friends, Lane, when I threw, a house party for my 20th birthday, yeah. which is really fun. I mean, Elaine and uh, their friend Paulina just showed up randomly because my house party was like a free for all, you know, mm -hmm. anybody could come. And um, yeah. And then I think it was around that time that I started realizing, you know, what doesn't serve me any longer, mm -hmm. but I was in a friendship where the person verbatim described it as like a mentor and apprentice dynamic. And I just knew I felt like I was in this like leader follower thing that I just, you know, felt kind of stuck in basically mm -hmm. that I wanted to get out of. Um, and then, yeah, about a few months later, after I first met Lane, um, had another party in my place. It wasn't a house show at this point. Um, but um, yeah, some shit hit the fan and the girl who I was in this friendship with, um, who called me like her apprentice. I finally stood up to her after noticing she did some like really shitty things mm -hmm. and she uh, lashed out and pretty much turned my whole world upside down by spreading bullshit lies about me. Yeah. You mentioned like, <coughs> you, you uh, described it as a smear campaign. And yeah, she, she, sold, she told like the entire internet, this is a smear campaign. Okay. Like what, I'm interested in this part of this because I, I know the, the the specifics of it's delicate and I don't want to like 
get into all that but like this can we talk about this smear campaign and like what that looks like because for me it's like i grew up in a time where i remember as a young kid like not even having the internet at all right and then i and then the internet came up and like but for i feel like for people you're 10 years younger than me so like i feel like the power of the internet and like what a smear campaign could do to somebody's like mental well-being or just well-being in general oh yeah could be pretty powerful could so can you talk about that a little bit Basically, she created like she was very artistic with her um, her Instagram stories, and um, now she would just like tweet stuff all the time. <coughs> but um, yeah, she just and another thing too, you know, she would use like big words that you know are in social media that are so in social media today. Like I don't know if you know about like the whole Gabby Hanna stuff going on right now. I don't. But, you know, using words like gaslighting and accomplice and stuff like that without, like, knowing the exact context of what you're saying, just stuff like that. And some people actually believed it. And people who I thought were my friends believed it and ended up siding with her after seeing that stuff. And it's just, it's really hard to bounce back from it. And trying to, you know, explain to them, you know, this isn't what happened. You know, there were four other witnesses to what truly happened. But um, I ended up writing like a six page Google Doc of like detailing my friendship with this person. And then, you know, what the details of what went down, like truly went down that night in the aftermath of that. Mm -hmm. Did you put it like online? Yeah, I did. Um, And then after she... I mean, I haven't heard anything from her in a year at least. And the last time she like tried saying something, you know, people would ask about it and I'd just be like, here, take it, read this. <laughs> yeah. And, done, yeah. Done, right? Yeah. Like Yeah, exactly. You I, I have some thoughts about what you said. You mentioned like you, you said gaslighting and accomplice, and you were saying like it wasn't really used properly. Yeah. So like are you saying that like that person use those terms to describe you and then automatically like you were immediately guilty because it was said or like what what do you mean yeah basically yeah she just said she just called me a gaslighter Mm -hmm. and i was an accomplice when i didn't know what to do because she took my friend like upstairs when everyone was downstairs and we were like what what was going on what the hell do we do Mm -hmm. and at that time i had no boundaries I mean, this is partially my fault because I should have been like, hey, this is fucked up. Mm-hmm. You're not doing this. But I didn't know what to do because I was stuck in this dynamic with this person where <clears throat> she, you know, supposedly knew best and I just didn't know what to do. But yeah. Yeah. I had this inner gut being, I had this inner gut voice in, in me being like, this is wrong. You need to stand up against this person. You know what you saw. Mm-hmm. And then I listened to that. Like, I couldn't. I couldn't shake it out. <clears throat> and then I finally said what I had to say. And that's what happened. And then boom, it like, so are you still experiencing residual effects from that smear campaign? Like, is it still affecting? Um, no, not really. I mean, past the two year mark. I mean, I just, I don't know if it's like some sort of paranoia. Mm-hmm. But I always get like very tense, especially on my social media. Like if I see people, because the thing is, 
I mean, as an artist, I really want my work to get out there, but I also don't want like the wrong people to see my stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm always worried like, oh, could this person know this person that I've had problems with? You know, could she, you know, be sending people to look at my stuff because I haven't blocked and everything? But Who yeah. Wrong, what do you mean by wrong people? Like what people would be the wrong people? Or you don't just say names or anything, just, but like conceptually. Just, just people who are affiliated with this person. Okay. Yeah. So you mentioned the term paranoid. Like it feels as though this this smear campaign, if you will, like had such an effect on you that now you're like your your mind's going to all these like you you mentioned paranoid places. Like yeah. is it something that you feel like his the paranoia and the the effects of that is has it improved over time or do you feel like it's still kind of lingering and it's coming out in different ways now? Um it's definitely a process because you know, these last couple months, I'm finally reaching the point where I can, it doesn't affect me constantly. Mm-hmm. And I realized, I realized I manifested like shit happening to this person because mm-hmm. I would have like this thought being like, oh God, something's going to happen. But I, but I didn't fight it. Mm-hmm. And because I didn't fight it, it ended up happening. But um, if I have this thought and I go, this isn't going to happen, it doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. um but yeah I would it's weird because I would text my friend the one who was assaulted by this person Mm -hmm. and I'd be like I'm afraid something's gonna happen with this person very soon and it would happen Mm -hmm. but I just realized if I don't speak it into existence it doesn't happen interesting so then you that I feel like that would hold you would that would hold a lot of weight like I feel like yeah the power to like dictate things is that kind of yeah 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 basically so i i also like in hearing you tell that story like it i feel like bigger picture too like with the internet um it speaks to like this thing that we're seeing happen where like if it's on the internet it's true right right Mm -hmm. and like before you can even get ahead of it it's already like fucking spread to 58 people and like then it's like what do you do um And when it, when it's like you personally, like I can't even fathom like how that would be to deal with. Um, sorry that happened, you know, like yeah, it's a big picture thing. Like it's false information and things spread so fast on the internet. Um, but it sounds like you're at a point now that you have this, like, it's almost like you have this binding document that you can just like, it's like you're handing yeah. out, you're handing out business cards. <laughs> <laughs> like just, I'm done with that part of my life. Yeah. Okay. Do you feel like, do you feel like with that topic, we're, we're okay? Like we don't need oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I just thought we could like, I feel like we could end on a, like on a, like a, a kind of fun thing. I want to talk about like the beach boys a little bit and Chris Farley. Oh, boy. Would, that, <laughs> would that be okay? Yeah. yeah okay. All I know about the beach boys, I know my parents listen to them. And like, I have like a general familiarity with some of their songs, but I also like, as an adult, I'm like, it's funny because I feel like their music's an oxymoron too. Cause they're t- a lot of the time they're talking about this incredibly painful shit. And it's just always like, yeah, <laughs> it's like it's presented in this really happy way. So like yeah, literally, literally their song till I die. That's exactly that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like, 
I don't know. Tell me, tell people what you know about the Beach Boys. Like what, I mean, I know you, you talked about it a little bit, but like, <laughs> what, what's your, what's your interest in this? Okay. I have had this like dream exhibit in my mind ever since like last year when I realized I want to do curating museum studies. Mm-hmm. 2026, the 60th anniversary of Pet Sounds, their greatest album. I just want to have an entire exhibit dedicated to like how they created the album, like people who are affiliated with it, like certain things that they used for the album. And even then their single good vibrations came out in that time as well. I mean, that's such like, like that's a wacky song. Mm -hmm. I absolutely love it. But um, yeah, I just, I grew up with pet sounds all the time. Um, The three main bands that played in my house that I remember like my toddler years were the beach boys the beatles and blur like the three b's right there but um yeah i just it's more definitely a nostalgic thing for me for why i love beach boys so much yeah and um yeah i just think that pet sounds is just one of the greatest albums of all time which is i think rolling stone has that as well or sergeant pepper i think it goes back and forth mm-hmm. it's interesting that you're t- it's because my brother, my brother's a musician. I know I talked about my brother earlier, but he was, he was writing a song recently and he was like sending me like some rough sketches of it. And he was like, I'm really going for like a beach boys vibe here. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, and he alluded to like, you know, it's like the lyrics are really fucked up, but like, it's kind of presented in this like upbeat way. And I was like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. And then I kind of listened yeah. to some more beach boys songs. And I was like, I, I guess I had never really like, taken a moment to like really think about what they were talking about and like the way it was being presented um so i don't know that's interesting and i think it's cool like i think it's important to have little like have interests that are like super specific like that i think that's cool um but the thing i can talk about a little more is chris farley um what's like I mean, do you, I, maybe you're not like the kind of person that picks favorite things, but like, do you have like a favorite movie or sketch or like Chris Farley moment? Tommy Boy, of course. Um, Matt Foley, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Matt Foley is the in- inspirational speaker. Yeah, the motivational speaker. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's your favorite part of Tommy Boy? Oh, um, when he destroys those car figures in front Ooh. of that one guy. <laughs> this is like an energy thing in the, the yeah. what'd you do what'd you do um his face yeah. like him saying what did you do in his face <laughs> like lives in my memory forever it's so funny oh yeah it's so great um i still say like son of a and um oh yeah oh my I, god <laughs> i uh, there was a moment with my last relationship i tried getting him to watch tommy boy with me mm-hmm and he wanted to turn it off halfway, and I kind of knew that it wasn't going to work out. Yeah, you're like, if you don't like that, I don't like you. Like, <laughs> that's, that's how much weight. I remember uh, there was, like, some Chris Farley documentaries that came out, like, I don't know, 10 years ago, maybe, or something. And it was, like, talk, it was, like chronicling his yeah. career and, like, then his tragic yeah. death. Um, and I just did the thing where I spaced out in the middle of talking. Hold on, I'm going to get it. Um. <laughs> Oh, Tommy Boy apparently didn't do well at the box office. Are you familiar no. with that? Yeah, and then Black Sheep did astronomically worse. Yeah, but I remember they were they were recounting like that it really affected Chris Farley, like it it fucked with him yeah. a bit. But then now it's like such a classic. 
I don't know how that happens, how movies yeah. walk like that. Um, I do wonder how Shrek would be, though, if it had been, like, the, the main voice instead of Mike Myers. If it was Chris Farley? Yeah, because he, um, he had recorded for Shrek, the first movie, but he died and it didn't work out. I didn't know that. Yeah, there's, there's footage on YouTube, I think. Really? Mm-hmm. When did Shrek come out? 2001, I think. Is that when he died? No, he died in 97, but I think they were like, I think they started really early in their production. I was going to say, I remembered him dying much earlier than that. But yeah. So they were already like, th- that was already in motion. Mm-hmm. Interesting. He would have been good for that. He would have been, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shrek's a cool, I like Shrek. Um, Shrek 2 is the best. <laughs> why is that? It's just, I mean, again, it's a nostalgic thing. I mean, the story is pretty great. I love the, the fairy godmother and mm-hmm. that. For sure. I, uh, I don't know. Chris Farley, like, I don't know. I think about, when I think of Chris Farley, I think of Tommy Boy. I think of the, in the van down by the river. Oh, yeah. And I think of him dancing with Patrick Swayze. Yeah. <laughs> just, like, fucking wrecking everybody on the stage. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, oh, I love when he uh, played Rudy Giuliani's son. Yes. And he's just <laughs> an <fucking> idiot. Like, <laughs> um, but yeah. Okay. I just, I love Chris Farley and I don't get the opportunity to talk to people about Chris Farley very often. So I'm happy. Yeah, me neither. This is great. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So Izzy, I think we're, you know, we're a little over an hour. Um, and I don't have anything else written down. Do you, how are you feeling? You feel like you want to discuss anything else or. Um, I think we've covered pretty much anything, everything I want to talk about. Cool. Cool. Um, I appreciate you coming on. And again, like, I appreciate you like listening one um into like you like doing what I always would hope would happen like somebody listen and then say they want to be on so I appreciate yeah. you coming on it's been cool getting to know you a little bit yeah same for you cool cool all right so I'm gonna stop recording don't hang up um but this is the end thanks for listening everybody um remember that you can submit uh entries to talk about normal at gmail.com or just message me and you could be a guest on the podcast thanks everybody